Welcome to the Transit Lounge. I'm your host, Chandra. As a recovering workaholic, I want to explore how you can do more of what you love without burning out. I'm on a mission to promote true well-being, the contented state of being happy, healthy, and prosperous. Through interviews with savvy entrepreneurs, authors, and industry experts, we'll share insights, inspiration, and practical tips on how you can be CEO you in the business of your life. Let's go. Hello, Sally. How are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm very well, although as I was just saying before we started recording, I'm a bit discombobulated with being in a different environment than I normally am. So I'm hoping the audio is going to come out okay and that technology is going to be our friend. Well, it sounds good from this end, so that's a good start. (laughs) Yeah, great. So Sally, you and I have only just had a very brief kind of chat and you are a firecracker of a personality. So I'm really (laughs) looking forward to talking with you and to find out more about your story, about what you're doing now and what you used to do, how you got there in making this sort of significant career change and to share some insights about how you've made that change so that others that are listening might get some ideas and inspiration from you. Yeah, hopefully. I am super duper excited. (laughs) (laughs) Great. So what is it that you are doing for work these days? So what I do is I have my own business um, as a digital marketer, I guess. So mainly Mm -hmm. social media. I also do photography, copywriting, coming up with marketing plans, writing blogs for people, all that type of thing. So yeah, digital marketing, I guess is what you'd call it. Digital marketing and, and uh, you're saying you have your own business. So you're, think, do you think of yourself as like a marketing, a digital marketing consultant? Yes, I would say that's probably exactly what I am. That was okay. much more articulate than what I said. <laughs> no, it's good because it, it's one of those things that sometimes we can have a title and you go, oh, that sounds fancy. Yes. And not necessarily think about what are all the, the functional things that you provide. So it's good that, you know, there's a range of different uh, tasks or activities that you might be working with different clients on, I imagine. Yes. Um, so it's good to give us a little bit of that context. And this is not what you've always done, though. What did you used to do for work? Well, before this in my former life, I was a financial planner, so completely different to what I do now. Um, I was a financial planner for about 15 years, working for a few different organisations. Yeah, so giving people advice and formulating financial strategies and budgets and all that fun stuff that people find really boring. So the opposite (laughs) of marketing. (laughs) I was going to say they they do seem to be quite different financial planning into digital marketing. Yes. So, but fifteen years as a financial planner was that something that when you were younger that you always wanted to do, or how did you get into the financial planning side of things in the first place? Well, like pretty much everything that happens in my life, it was accidental. I went to uni and I did law and sociology at uni and on my very, very last day of uni, I went for a job interview that I thought was for a law firm and it was only when I was standing in reception, I thought, oh, there's the business card of the guy who's interviewing me, that's his name. So I picked it up and it said financial planner and I just went, uh, what is a financial planner? I've never heard of that. I have no idea what that is. Oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God, started freaking out. Hang on, Um, this is when you rocked up for the interview. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) So I just went into the interview and 
made jokes and got on with him really well and they offered me the job and I thought oh well I've got nothing else on so I'll just do that and um, so that led to eight years of additional study after my degree after I'd finished my degree um, to become a certified financial planner while I was working full-time as well and I just I did grow to enjoy it I loved what I was learning it's really useful information for your own life Mm -hmm. and I loved meeting all the clients and and helping them at the end of the day yeah so that's the story of how it happened (laughs) that is hilarious I think you are the first person I've met who got a job accidentally that was not what they (laughs) thought that they were were applying for but you know it adds to the color of your story doesn't it (laughs) I have a colourful story. Oh, yes. <laughs> so the the accidental financial planner in you, uh, that's how that unfolded. And you said that you grew into it when you actually figured out what the job actually is and all, all the study that you had to do on top of what you'd already done. Yes. Uh, and so did it get to a point where you just weren't enjoying it anymore or what was the kind of catalyst for you to make the change? I guess what was happening for you that led you to make a change? There were a couple of things happening. I think I did always, to answer your original question, I did always think I I want a corporate job with the briefcase, wearing the suit, all that sort of thing, but I'd never pinpointed exactly what that meant. So the financial planning suited me from that perspective. But as many women are probably the same, um, I then had kids. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I live in a town of 600 people and there's no daycare that I had no family around and financial planning is you're either all in or you're all out so uh-huh. yeah and I just thought I don't I was definitely losing interest in it as I went along I was becoming disillusioned and a lot of changes were happening in the industry that I wasn't really comfortable with um, or not comfortable with it was just I don't know it was all beginning becoming too hard, I mm-hmm. suppose. And when you add a couple of young kids into the mix, um, pretty much impossible to go back to financial planning. And the added complication to that was when you leave the industry, you basically lose your qualifications. So to get back in, you have to do courses and that all over again. And I really wasn't oh. up for that. <laughs> so not the whole eight years all over again, but I would have had to have sat resat all these exams and you've got to keep up your professional points consistently um, and I just couldn't do that. Yeah right so I guess because things as you say in the industry do move and change in order for you to practice you have to be seen as being up to date and if you've been out of uh, practice for you know a year or two or however many years with having kids a lot potentially has changed. So you'd have to sort of not start from scratch but, you know, reset things. Pretty much. That's so absolutely. That, yeah, so that became a, another handbrake to you along with the fact that it wasn't an industry that you were love, love, loving enough to go, oh, yeah, great, I just have to, you know, do these extra PD points and get back on the horse. Yep. It, was, it became a bit of a catalyst for you to go, well, if not that, what else? Yeah, that's exactly right. But the funny thing is, of course, in typical fashion, the what else thing was also an accident. <laughs> so so you're at that point and so you know, okay, so it's not that. What was the process you were going through that guided what else you might have considered to do at that point? I think to tell you the truth, what I'm doing now is what I was always meant to be doing. I was always... <laughs> 
I was always a little bit different to the other financial planners that I came across. I always had a huge interest in marketing and writing and that more creative side of things. And I was always coming up with new marketing plans and for the business I was in and, mm-hmm. and that. So it just, I found that in all those lonely days of when I was at home with crying babies and, and stuff like that, I'd just do a lot of writing to get right. it out, to get it out. Yep. And then I um, met up with a friend who I hadn't seen for 10 years or something. And we just over a cup of tea decided to start a business together, which was, <laughs> as you do, as you yes. do. Um, yeah. Yes, but it was it was more she wanted to do magazines and I wanted to, I said, well, I'll just do the marketing around it. So I started a Facebook page um, for that business and then I've just gone, this is the thing. This is it. This is what I'm always meant to have been doing. Why did I wait 15 years? <laughs> well, Facebook didn't exist back then, but True. yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, so then from that, from being in that business with her, in the end, I decided this is this is what I want to actually do. So literally overnight, I started my own business, <laughs> and that and that's how I got to where I am now. Wow, it's so many things in in <laughs> that uh, conversation. So that's a significant cup of tea moment that you would have with your friend. Go, <laughs> okay, you, you went for a cup of tea, and then you started a business. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, how did what funny thing happened on the way to a cup of tea? Uh, and so when you made this decision and started taking action, how did other people in your life respond to that idea, particularly if you'd always kind of been more of that corporate suit-wearing type, yep. family, friends, etc. people in your life, how, how did they respond to you suddenly saying, I, I now have started my own business? They pretty much just thought it was going to be a hobby that I'd never really monetize. Right. Um, and my husband, who's just a few doors away, so I can't say this too loud, but <laughs> he said to me, well, you know, why don't you go back to financial planning? Because he just thought if I if I go back to financial planning, I, I can get that steady income stream coming in. Mm-hmm. And I just thought to myself, you could not pay me enough to go back to that because I love what I'm doing now so much. I mean, the social media page that I started, I grew to 12,000 people in 18 months from yeah, scratch. Wow. Good with on no you. Advertising. And that's why I just went, this is what I'm meant to be doing. Yeah. So I guess I was just, they a lot of, a lot of my friends were just sort of, you go girl and all that sort of thing um and but was just waiting and seeing but I was determined I was just determined so I didn't really care what anybody said I just felt in my gut and with my whole being that this is what I've always meant to have been doing yeah nice there's something so empowering about that kind of feeling isn't it where you've got that level of certainty even if it's only about one piece of the puzzle that you kind of go I don't know all the answers but I know in my gut and in my heart this is the direction this is the this is the way and there's a whole stack of stuff I don't know yet that I'll figure out along the way but I I know this this is the bit that I know for sure yeah Um, so I think there's something to be said about trusting your instinct around that regardless of some of the other logistical challenges that come up inevitably when you do start to move from being an employee into starting your own thing because mm. there, there's a lot that you just don't even know that you don't know. That's uh, right. That can be a bit of a handbrake. 
were there things that you were concerned about, even though you were super excited about, you know, having this realization about your path? Were there any things you were concerned about? Absolutely. Um, one of my biggest things was it was all internal, I suppose. Mm-hmm. It was imposter syndrome perfectionism, um, that I had no marketing qualifications whatsoever was a big concern because I just thought no one's, why would people listen to me? I don't have a degree in marketing or anything like that. So what I ended up doing, I forgot that I did it, but what I ended up doing is the same day, I think it was that I started my business, I applied for a part-time job in digital marketing and then I forgot all about it. And then I ended up going to that interview (laughs) and then got that job. So that really helped me over because I thought I'm going to take this job and that way I'll learn what I don't know, exactly what you were just saying. Yeah. Um, so they can show me, you know, they're a really well-respected business. They can show me what I don't know and mm-hmm. I can learn more and then grow the business on the side. And I stayed there for about 10 months and I loved them. They were beautiful people. But even though I loved the job and all that sort of thing, it was still that same thing. I didn't really learn that much new working Uh for them and and that made me realise that I actually kind of do know what I'm doing. (laughs) Yeah, or you know enough to get started and you'll continue Mm. to learn as you do. Mm, Exactly. Yeah, Yeah. and I I think it's an ongoing education process. You never know everything and so I'm always doing new courses, whether it's just to test what I already know or if it's something that I you know, an area that I know I need to know. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I'm constantly studying still. <laughs> yeah, fantastic. And look, I think that comes with the territory when you're someone who's really passionate about your work and committed to doing a great job, that there's always that element of being always more to learn and pursuing that to a degree that's helpful uh, mm-hmm. can be really good and stimulating and exciting to, to keep feeding that, that passion and that interest. Yeah, and I think it does give you confidence as well. For somebody like me who, as I was saying, no qualifications, a little bit of that imposter syndrome, was it just luck that I'd had so much success on social media, you know? So education has really helped me because I know now the reasons behind it and I can articulate a lot better what I was already doing, (laughs) if that makes sense. Yeah, Yeah, great. And how long have you been in the business now or have business for? I've had my current business for, when did I, I started it at the end of 2018. Mm-hmm. So yeah, and I think that's right. I think that's right. Yeah. <laughs> it could yeah. be 2017 or 2018, one of those, I'm not sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, because, well, I had that 10 months when I was mm-hmm. working part-time, so it must have been 2017. So for the first year I sort of worked part-time and then after that, I just have been on my own for the last year and that that's the biggest thing I realised too is that, you're again, you're either all in or you're all out and once I left that part-time job, everything just exploded and word got around and, yeah, it's just grown so much in that time. Yeah, fantastic. And so the approach that you took, because there's a few different, I guess, pathways that people can take when they're employed and looking to maybe start their own thing and and one path 
that can actually be a really great strategic move is to do the side gig. So to have mm. your um, job on the you, you have your job you're employed to do, and then you use your time outside of the working hours to build your business. Yep. That's one one way. Going part time sometimes is another way where you sort of you've got less commitment to hours for somebody else and a bit more time that can be dedicated to your own thing. Mm. Even with that, how did you handle the juggle between your role and responsibilities for your employed role and starting and growing your own business? Were there what were the challenges that you think you faced having to manage both of those? Time. It was it really was. So I only had three days a week during school hours when I had both my kids in, one was in school and one was in daycare or preschool. Um, so I only had six hours three times a week to do what I had to do. And those three days were full because that's when I would go to the part-time job. So growing my business had to be done at night <laughs> yep. after the kids had gone to bed. So come eight o'clock, you just, just when you're about to think you want to relax nope I had to go into my office and work on the business then mm -hmm. and I guess I always had in the back of my mind that I would keep the part-time job until I was earning enough money under my business to replace that income yeah um, the part-time job and once I reached that point which is what took about the 10 months that's when I've gone yep now is the time and I just had no you know, I'd be up till 1am or things like that. It was just constant. There was never any, yeah, I burnt out in the end, I think. <laughs> yeah, I was going to ask you about that because, yeah. you know, whilst it can be very exciting to be building your own thing and energising, you are still a physical being <laughs> that does need, you know, to fuel yourself and to recharge and to sleep and look after yourself. So running... Uh, too thin on the ground even with the adrenaline that kicks in on with the excitement of a new project it does take a bit of a toll and I think that's something that people do need to be aware of in terms of managing their energy levels and looking at well this is going to be a long-term commitment so it's not worth killing yourself in the short term to get something happening if then you're going to fall in a heap and not be able to deliver on all the things that you're saying that you can do so yeah it's a it's an interesting one and the, the money financial question is one that always comes up for people because it tends to be one of the first either hurdles that people have to get over when they're considering leaving an employed situation to work for themselves and that question of how much money is it going to cost me to set up, how, money, how long is it going to take me to earn as much money as I'm earning now or how much money do I need to earn before I would, you know, quit from my job or if, if they, for some people, they've already pulled the ripcord and quit and so they've got a bit more time pressure on them. For you, with your financial planning background, what was your approach to the money side of things? Did you find it challenging or were you kind of all over it and all good? Um, that's a good question. I think I've always, I've never really been a big spendthrift or anything like that. So, what my approach was, was I wanted to live off the money that I was earning off the part-time job. So anything I earned in my business would just be accumulating in a, in a separate bank account. Okay. Um, 
Yeah, and so that's that's kind of the approach that I took so that, I mean, starting up a digital business like I have, there's no real overhead. So I'm lucky in that way and that you can just start and get going and, you know, all you need is your laptop really. Yeah. <laughs> so there were no real overhead. So I was just able to accumulate that money. And like I said, I was very clear that once I'd replaced my monthly income from the part-time job, that was my cue to because I wouldn't there wouldn't be any change in my financial position I guess if that makes sense mm-hmm. I could just quit that job I make it sound much easier than it was I bawled my eyes out but I could, <laughs> I could quit my job and just move on and and start drawing an income from the business at that point yeah so yeah so the the shift potentially was the adjustment to the part-time income level whereas uh, I think I guess for some people, if they're just using their full time salary as an equivalent, go well. I want to earn exactly the same amount as I'm earning now. Mm. You know that can be a, a bit of a challenge for people when you're just starting out. Versus looking at what are the ways that you could adjust without feeling like you're on the poverty line, but to adjust your lifestyle expenses wherever you can to be able to go. Okay, well I can happily live on this amount of money. And how, how do I then either redirect funds if you need to invest something in, you know, even just buying a new laptop or things that you might need for setting up a business, but to, I guess, be looking for those ways of adjusting your lifestyle expenses so that you're not putting so much pressure on the business to have to earn a really high level straight away. That's exactly right. And, I mean, I think it's easier than people think to adjust your living expenses and this is one of the processes that I used to go through as a financial planner you know I have been known to take a calculator to the supermarket when I get my groceries so if I have I know which is a bit extreme but if I have and you don't have to go to these extremes but if I had a budget that that was all I wanted to spend on groceries that week then I'd take the calculator and and add it up and if I was a little bit over I'd go oh well I'm not going to get those that block of chocolate or or whatever. Um, so yeah, I can be really, really tight if I need to be. But, yes. <laughs> but I have I have the luxury, I suppose, of that my husband's got a really good job, and so he earns enough to support us both. Mm-hmm. So I think that was probably what gave me that little bit of extra confidence. I was doing the part time job, um, but that wasn't everything that we had to live on if that makes sense so I had yes. a little bit of freedom there as well and that does, I'm very lucky to have been in that position yeah yeah and look not everybody's necessarily going to be in that position however whatever their situation is it's important to look at current expenses any debts that people are carrying to sort of just have that bit of a snapshot of mm. current financial situation and, and to be realistic about the fact that it assume it is going to take time to build up your income uh, from a new business and therefore be savvy about how you're approaching that what's your strategy what's your plan around that absolutely rather than just kind of like hoping that oh yeah I will definitely be able to earn this much money you know in my first month so Mm, you know whether it's having a buffer looking at reducing your expenses that's right about being smart about it I think Absolutely. And, and also with the wonders of social media, which of course I love, yes. um, you can, these days when you start a business, you don't have to, you know, 
you can sort of start marketing the business before you've even really started the business, if that makes sense, and growing mm-hmm. your audience before you're ready to sell them something. Yeah. And so you can be doing that on the side. And that's one of the things that the approach that I took with my business was I wanted to build a personal brand and start building up my own personal brand while I was still working so that I've never had to actually go and ask for work. I have people approach me and that's what social media is all about is that you can do that and you can kind of ease your way in that way, I suppose, so that you don't have such a stop start um, on your income and, yeah, you can gauge how people are reacting to your product and all that before you even take the leap, if that Mm -hmm. makes sense. Yes. And so when you look at where you're at now and where you've come from, is there anything that you wish that you knew or did earlier in your business? I wish I did the whole business earlier. (laughs) 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 But I just, I wish I had listened to myself more, I suppose, because I always, yeah, I've always loved writing and, and doing this more creative sort of thing. Um, and I just wish that I'd pursued that earlier than what I had. And I Mm. wish that I'd had turning 40 has been very pivotal because I wish that I had more confidence in myself when I was younger. Um, but I didn't really get that until I turned 40 and everything changed. (laughs) I'm so glad that you brought that up because for a lot of people, they potentially will have the mindset that, oh, I'm in my forties now it's sort of the downhill run. In fact, I, uh, I, I'm i 47 and uh, I had to go and have some medical things done and this new doctor that I saw uh, proceeded to tell me that essentially I was now um, in the second half of my life and that's when all things start going wrong. And I was right. like, yeah, I was like, well, you're cheery. Um, <laughs> and I thought, well, how depressing of you is it to kind of look at it in that way? Whereas... You, what you've just shared there is that turning 40 was a pivotal moment in terms of an uplift in your confidence. Tell, mm. tell me more about that. What, do you, what was going on there? I think it's over analysis of myself. You know, I've, I'm from a sort of small town and I've always kept myself small, I suppose. I thought I'm just a normal person. I'm not anything extra special. I'm never going to really do anything amazing because I'm just – you know, there's nothing special about me. I think that's just what my internal monologue was. Um, And then always, you know, I think just when you're a bit younger, you take things to heart more if you ever get any negative feedback or I don't really know where it stems from. But I just know that once I reached 40, I released, it was like a release of what was holding me back. And I just thought, well, what's, what's the harm? You can just do it. And if it doesn't work, that doesn't mean you're a hopeless person. It doesn't mean you're not a nice person. It doesn't mean anything, you know? And I just, I don't know. I just, it was literally like an overnight thing. (laughs) That was Because I was going to ask you, okay, so you've just, you know, you had this great release and you've like, you've shaken off this um, negative internal narrative. Mm. But I was going to ask, like, did, did you do something that prompted that? Or you just like woke up one day and it was, gone or like what's the process how do we how do we get this bottled and to have other people be able to do it <laughs> well I don't know well it I think 
one pivotal moment was actually after I'd had a couple of wines yes. and um, I was chatting to my friend and I just thought to myself, like, you know, as does at 1am, you start having big, deep and meaningful conversations and that sort of thing. And I just thought, why am I talking about negative things? Like, just why? Just get over it, you know, just get over whatever this is that's making you feel this way. And so that was it. I just, I don't know, I just woke up the next morning and I just thought, I don't want to be that person anymore. I don't want to be yeah. that person who has, has oh, I've achieved this in spite of this thing that happened or something like that. I just want to be the person that look at what I've achieved because I've achieved it. That's that's it. Yes. Past, past, nothing's got anything to do with it. This is what I wanted to achieve and that's what I've done. So, love yeah. it. I love that. So not that I'm necessarily – prescribing that everybody should have several wines and stay up <laughs> chatting until 1am. It does sound like it was very effective for you. Uh, but it, there is, there's something, and it will be different for different people. For somebody else, it might be that they go on a, you know, a beautiful hike somewhere in, in the nature or by the ocean and they just have that epiphany moment of realising our own internal narrative and how influential it is about mm. what we do with our lives, the action that we take, the action that we don't take, how we self-deprecate beyond a level that's just about humour and, and the, the kind of deep-rooted messaging that we've been playing on loop all our lives to be able mm. to get to a point and go, I'm done with that. I'm, I yep. don't want to be that person anymore. And actually I can decide and I can say as of now that that's not who I'm being anymore. Yeah, and I exactly. just think it's so powerful to get to that point in your life. And I think for me, I've, I love turning 40. I have, you know, I had no qualms about it. But I know that for a lot of people, they go in, they approach it with this impending doom, like life is <laughs> over. Whereas, I feel like 40s are fun yeah. because of that element of that you are a little bit older and wiser. You've had a bit more life experience and you know yourself hopefully better to be yeah. able to, to make those choices. So that sort of leads me to one of the questions that popped up when you were sharing that story was around um, something that you wished you did earlier and you said that you wish that you did the whole business earlier mm. and that you wish that you listened to yourself earlier. Mm. What I was going to ask, and it may be that you've just sort of answered it, but why did you not listen to yourself earlier or what do you think stops you from taking any action earlier? That is an excellent question. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I don't know if I quite know the answer to it why I didn't do it I I think it was like I was saying just keeping myself small yeah. I didn't realize the potential that I had and a lot of people and I've before if somebody used to say to me you could do whatever you want you're just this amazing person I'd just go yeah right whatever whereas now I'm, enough people have said that type of thing to me now where I think well all these people see and so it came from outside as well all these people see these things in me why can't I see that in, in me and then when I started doing these things and achieving things that just reinforced that you are actually smart and you are you know you can do these things and you're a strategic thinker and you're a big thinker and 
Yeah, I think it comes from life experience, putting things in perspective as well. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> just perspective is a huge, a huge thing. Like growing up where I did in a, it was a small town at the time and not knowing what was outside there, not knowing what opportunities there were outside of that, that town. And I think naivety had a part of it in it too. I didn't know what I could be doing. <laughs> and yeah. I think, yeah, the financial planning, it felt like, well, this is the suit with the briefcase, you know, it's a fancy sounding job and, and blah, blah, blah. But it never really lit me up. Yeah. 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 And the clues were there. Uh, it sounds like that even though your job was a, as a financial planner, you mentioned earlier that you were always, if there was an opportunity, you were the one that was coming up with the marketing ideas mm. and for the, yep. for the business. And so I think often changes that seem like they're quite significant from a financial planner to your digital marketer, like it's like, hang on, how do we get from there? But those clues, <laughs> the clues are there when you, again, from hindsight, you can see the clues are there around your passion around writing, your passion and interest around marketing. Those sorts of things didn't come from nowhere they were there but you were just not spotlighting them or giving them enough room in terms of the where you spend your time in your role they were just small things that you would seek out so I think that's actually a great strategy for people to potentially use to start to see if they're not sure what they want to do next to start to get super curious about where does their interest go outside of what they're paid to do If there's certain projects, if you're employed and you've got a primary function and role that you're supposed to do, but then when there's special projects or uh, opportunities that come up, which are the ones that you think, oh, I'd love to be involved in that, you know, that are outside of the scope of your normal job or things that you do as either a hobby or something that you do as extracurricular activity outside of work, are there common themes there? Because where you choose to spend your time and choose to spend your money are great reflections of things that are important to you so by being a bit curious about it it can open up a whole different line of of possibility and even right back to childhood and this is one of the other things that I realized is you get distracted by what you're learning at school and you're sort of getting forced down a certain path to become an employee, you know, and developing the skills that you need to be a good employee when through the education system, I think. But when I go back to when I was young, I loved nothing more than writing poetry and I'd get all my toys and arrange them around and then pretend to take photos of them and all that. And I just think, why did I ignore that? (laughs) Yes. Uh, Sally, I love the, the the little statement that you just made about that we get distracted by what we're taught at school and that whole, and I know there's a lot of people who agree and a lot of people who will disagree with this. I know, but it's the, a bit controversial. But, but that's okay, <laughs> of that, you know, part of the schooling system is designed to condition people to become good employees and to, you know, to get things right and to feel certain and tick things off a process in a linear fashion and and to get good grades and all of those things that are not necessarily designed to help you find out what you're really passionate about, what your Mm. purpose is or how you are going to be adding your, your own unique value to the world. And I think it's really great to be as you said, looking back even to childhood of what were the things that you loved doing back then and are there any of those things that if you had the chance to do them now, you would love to do them again? 
just to start opening up the possibility instead of going okay I am qualified as a financial planner I don't want to do this anymore but what's something else I can do in the finance industry yes and and look for some people that might be the right approach and the pathway but for many people it's not necessarily the right path so thinking beyond that that just because your qualification is in one area doesn't limit you to only staying in that area Exactly. And my big overarching philosophy, I suppose, that I've always had is when it's your last moments of life, will you be happy with what you've done? Will you be happy knowing that, oh, I spent all that time working in that job that I actually hated? Mm. Or you know what I mean? And so I always try and put things in perspective in that way and just say, well, I'm now, yes, it might be considered late, like your doctor said. I had a similar thing said to me by my <laughs> <Right>. doctor <laughs> when I was having my second child. He's like, oh, for my, for, out of all my patients, even though you're the oldest, you're in really good condition. I'm like, oh, great, thanks. Oh, anyway. A, ba- a backhanded compliment. Thanks very much. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I just think do follow what feels right and I think you get into a zone as well and, I just feel like because I'm doing the right thing, I'm doing what I'm meant to be doing, that emanates out of me when I'm talking about it, when I'm meeting with clients and all that. And it's just you're much more, you're much happier within yourself, you're much more successful because you're doing something that you love. So don't mm. ignore it. <laughs> yeah. And look, I think it's it's so great that that was your experience and that certainty that has kicked in for you. What would you say to anyone who perhaps is, feeling in, in a role that is unsatisfying for them. Maybe they liked it early on or maybe they've never really liked it, but, you know, maybe they're just at a point they want to do something else, they want it to feel meaningful and like the right job for them, but they don't feel like they know what it is. That is another excellent question. Um, I think it's just that self-analysis, you know, what have I always enjoyed doing and what I do now, this profession didn't exist when I was a kid. But Mm -hmm. the elements of me doing this were there. And I just think going back and thinking I've always loved, I don't know, whatever it is, I've always loved pools. I've always loved um, writing. I've always loved whatever it is. I've always loved helping people and just extrapolating that out into what are the options around that. And just because a job doesn't exist doing exactly what you want yet doesn't mean that there's no need for it. It doesn't mean that you can't do it. It just you've just got to get a little creative sometimes and yes. create something around it. Yes, and and to see where there is a need, mm. and if the need exists, then there's potential for some kind of business or product or service to help in that space. And I think that because the way of working is shifting, that it's possible for people now to you know, create different types of business offerings because, you know, not everyone is an employee anymore. And the way that the internet has opened up possibilities of, of how you can run a business and where you can be and, and the cost of entry is so low, I think there's so much possibility. But people do need to start with, as you're saying, that, that self-awareness, self-analysis of saying, you know, where do I get energised? What are the things that I like to spend my time doing? And what's my flavour of helping people because I think I believe that everybody is motivated by wanting to help other people Mm -hmm. and that their version of helping is going to be unique to them 
And for some people, that's, they help by making great coffee. That's so true. And I was just thinking that as you were saying, like, because there's that end of the spectrum that I just mentioned where the job might not exist yet or you can't articulate exactly what it is. The other end of the spectrum is so many people are already doing it. Why would I follow my passion when there's already so much competition? Mm -hmm. And exactly that ties in exactly with what you're saying. They don't do it like you do it. Yeah. So and when people are doing, and this is putting my marketing hat on, when people do business with you, they do it with you, not with, you know, the 50 things that, you know what I mean? Especially in a services business, people want to deal with people that they like. So there might be a million other people who are doing what you do, but they don't do it how you do it. And they don't yeah. have the personality that you have and your unique traits. And so even if, I mean, social media, every man and his dog is a so-called social media expert these days, but that yeah. didn't stop me from coming in and, you know, taking off the way that I have. It's been yeah. no problem. And it's so good that you brought that up because I think that links back that for many people that imposter syndrome kicks in of, mm. you know, why would someone choose me? And I know I have struggled with it myself and I, every now and again that little voice pops up and, you know, has that little negative message around well, why there's so many people that are doing a similar thing, you know, does the world really need another one of these and all of that questioning. And it just comes down to reminding yourself that, there is there isn't somebody else that's got your particular flavor and as i mm. said i actually said to a client recently who was having that same narrative and i just said well how many different types of ice cream can you buy yes and she was like she just went really quiet for a minute and she said lots i said yeah i said so don't think that you can't be another flavor of ice cream exactly just that's don't so just don't be vanilla I love that analogy. Any Anything about ice cream is good. <laughs> That's a great analogy. <laughs> great. Uh, so what I am um, would love for you to do is to just share with people listening, if they want to find out more about you, connect with your business and to be following you online, maybe they want to find out about working with you, where do people go? How do they connect with you? Okay, so my business is called Savvy Sally and I thought I was so clever when I came up with that name. Um, <laughs> and I'm on Instagram and Facebook mainly, so Savvy Sally Content, all one word, is who I am. Um, and I also have a website, SavvySally.com.au, and I'm in the process of my own podcast, actually, <laughs> creating my own podcast. Good on you. Um, and yeah, so that will be released soon when I get around to recording it all and <laughs> watch this space yes <laughs> fantastic but if people connect with you online then obviously you'll be promoting that when it's uh, yes. ready to go fantastic right. awesome yeah. so as we start to wrap up any final thoughts things that we didn't talk about things I didn't ask that you think would be tips or insights that you'd want to share with anyone that's listening who's currently employed and and thinking about you know making that transition towards working for themselves any final tips really only just to reiterate what we've already said and that's follow your gut I think mm -hmm. and no and and dig deep within yourself and follow that and just because you haven't got a product to sell or everything perfectly formulated up front doesn't mean that you can't start growing your audience and documenting your journey to finding or to becoming this business that you're going to become um, because I think people love 
following you along as well. Of course, this is marketing again. I can't help it. <laughs> can't get away um, from it. Yep. I know. It's all consuming. Um, yeah. So I, I mean, it sounds so cliched, but just start and figure it out as you go and people will love you for that. Yeah. That, that's it. Yeah. Fantastic. And I think, you know, people can hear that and go, oh, it's easy for her to say and she's so confident. <laughs> The reality is, and you've demonstrated in the approach that you've taken, the reality is that clarity comes after you take the action and when we sit back and wait too long before taking any kind of action because we're waiting for everything to be super perfect and all our ducks lined up in a row before you go out into the world to say, here's me and here's what I've got to offer, the problem with that is that you never get any kind of insight or feedback about you know, what people actually want, what they will pay for, how much they will pay for it, how many people there are that want it, what you actually enjoy. And so instead of feeling like it's a linear thing of I'm going to go from here to this place and here's exactly what I'm going to be doing and exactly how it's going to work, you don't know all of the steps. You've just got to get started and learn and respond as you go. That's right. And if worse comes to worst and it's terrible, then you probably, you've only got, 10 social media followers or something anyway (laughs) yes (laughs) so it's not a big deal you know just yeah enjoy the journey and learn from it and move on to the next thing yeah yeah fantastic Sally it was so great chatting with you and finding out a little bit about you and your process of going from financial planning into (laughs) you know your digital marketing extraordinaire Uh, and we'll make sure that we include all those links in the show notes so that people can connect with you thank you so much for making the time for this call thank you so much for having me i'm i'm so excited i'm still excited i've used so many hand gestures as i've talked (laughs) (laughs) it's been really great thank you (laughs) but that's it for this episode i hope it gives you some food for thought and keeps you moving and if you are thinking about making some moves towards starting your own business then I would love for you to come and join our free Facebook group so you can connect with other women who are on the road to working for themselves just like you. In that group you can ask your questions, you can get some great tips and ideas and inspiration on how you can transition from a successful career to starting your own business. To find the group Just go to Facebook and search for Career Change, Start and Grow Your Own Business. That's the name of the group. And I really look forward to connecting with you there. Have a great week.